Now, the problem is I wasn't going to mention that Kaya and Caroline are speaking um, until long, because I know what you're thinking now. Sit down, Simon, and shut up. We want to hear what they've got to say. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. I'll get on with my bit, and then they can get up here. Um, it's great to see you guys. And um, we are in the middle of this series uh, called Simplify, which is looking at how do we live the important things? How do we do the important things well? Um, I don't know about you, um, but I've lived with a number of different people over. We obviously have our family now. We've had lodgers. I used to live um, as a student with a number of other, other students, and I, uh, there was one guy there. I mean, when I first met him, he presented himself well. He dressed smartly. He was polite. When I lived with him, I tell you, this guy was possibly the laziest person on the planet. Uh, he's certainly the laziest person I have ever met in my entire life. His room, there was stuff in his room. I think the biology department wanted to look at his rugby kit just to see if they could discover a new form of life. He had cups of coffee uh, that had inch-thick, it was like, wasn't even mold, it was beyond mold, it had like evolved into another life form. It was so thick with hair and fur and, uh, and his room stank because he never washed anything. He washed himself but nothing else and so you'd walk past his room and you would gag with the smell that came under the door. It was so bad. There was a chicken sandwich, I remember, in the KFC chicken sandwich in the fridge that literally, you know, you'd open the door and it would beg you to put it out of its misery. It was just been there so long. It disappeared one day. I said, what happened to it? He said, oh, I ate it. I was like, you can't have eaten that. You cannot, not human to eat that. But he had eaten it. The reality is, what you, you can live as you like out there, but who you really are is made most clear where? At home. Who you are at home, that is who you are. Everyone, you, can, you can make a good uh, a face at work, at, on, the, on the street, in the shops, but who you are at home, that is who you really are. And home might look different. It looks different for all of us, doesn't it? You might be single. You might live on your own. You might with, live with other singles. You might live with a family. You might uh, have, uh, be married, but your kids have left home, or willingly or unwillingly. Uh, uh, you, you, you could have home looks different for each one of us. And the reality is, though, we have to live this gospel. This thing that we believe has to be lived out first in our homes if it's going to be lived anywhere at all. And this is the thing that I believe is that if the gospel has changed my heart. It will change my home. It has to, doesn't it? If it's changed my heart, it, it will change my home. And we really live with that conviction. I, I um, growing up, lived a double life. At school, I was one thing. At home, I was something completely different. My family were Christian, so I acted like a Christian at home. But at school, I was completely different. And I, and I thought I could live like that. You can't. Sooner or later, your lives will collide, and one will catch up with the other. And it did, and I ultimately became an atheist for a number of years. Uh, Caroline and I, when we were first married, we were very polite. We were nice to people outside of the home, but inside the home, we were so we grew increasingly rude to one another. We, we spoke to each other in a way that we would never speak to someone else outside the home. And, and it got to this point where we think, we, why are we treating each other like this? Why are we speaking to one another in a way that we'd never speak to anyone else? So we changed it. Now we're polite to each other and rude to everyone else. And it's much better. It's much more peaceable at home. No, I'm just, just teasing. <laughs> it was a joke, that bit. Um, so what is the gospel? What is the gospel? We've got to start there. And we've really summarized it in four words. This one verse really encapsulates what the gospel is 
Jesus, uh, uh, in John 3, verse 16, the gospel is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If anyone's talking to you about what the gospel is, that verse really should be one of the key places that you go. And, and as a church, we've used four words to summarize that verse even, to kind of boil it down even more simply. It's these four words, God, creation, salvation, and restoration. These four words are the words that you can use to summarize the gospel. You can draw the little shape on a napkin or wherever. If someone says, what is it you believe? These four words, I believe, should make up something of your explanation. So what we're going to do is just unpack, okay, what does it mean to live out of these four words in the home? There's so many things we could say. I'm hoping that we can just provoke you with the question of, what does it mean for me to live the gospel out in my home? But, but the first is this, God. You know, the, the basis of the gospel is this. We follow a God, not uh, the Muslims as they uh, would declare God is great. We say we believe God is great, but we also believe this, that God is love. <laughs> He is great, yes. He is all-powerful, yes. But nowhere else does he define himself better than this when he says, God, when it says in the Bible, God is love. He defines himself by love, for God so loved. That's the beginning of our story. That's what makes the gospel, and the word gospel means good news. That's what makes it good news. Anything else, if God is not love, it is not good news. But if he's love, then it's good news. Because that's where we start with good news. You've heard the the story, I'm sure, of the little boy scribbling away in the, the kitchen and his mum says, what are you drawing? He says, I'm drawing God. And she says, don't be silly. No one knows what God looks like. And he says, they will by the time I'm finished. Uh, <laughs> Jesus came with his drawing, with his picture, and he said, so I want to tell you this, God is love. How, how do we live that out? This is what Jesus said. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to love one another. This love that we are to give is not to be sourced in ourselves. Where is it to come from? Just as I have loved you. That's the beginning of the gospel. As he has loved us, then we are like, uh, uh, we're not generating love. We are just channels of his love. That it flows through us. And the first place it must flow is into our homes. Uh, And this is the question we've got to ask ourselves. Do the people in our homes, the people around us, Do they want to follow God more because of how you live or less? And if we're living the gospel out, the answer will be more. Because we will be modeling and living out of this love. But it's not easy, is it? Because I know how I want to love people. I want to love people when they perform. Anyone else like that? Just admit it, come on. (laughs) When they are nice and they do nice things and they make me happy, I want to love them. When they do not do nice things and do not make me happy, I do not want to love them. I mean, I'm being honest here. Is anyone else? I mean, that's a, it's simple. Just perform and I'll love you. You know, how complicated does it have to be? But of course, that's not the heart of the gospel, is it? We had a, a, um, a guy, I've told a story before, but he came to one of our father's heart conferences and he's, he had been brought up in a family like that. And he had never, ever been hugged. And at the conference, sometimes we'll do this, we'll get, if you've never been hugged, come to the front and we will, someone will give you a big man hug or woman, woman hug, is that? Anyway, uh, whatever, uh, a bear hug. There we go, thank you. Uh, uh, 
And so he came forward and he, and he received a hug as if it were from God himself. And he just wept and wept. Anyway, he went back to his church and the next Sunday and they asked for testimony for people to share what had happened. He stood up and he said, um, I've never been, I was never hugged by my parents ever before and I was hugged for the first time and it was as if God was hugging me. So I wept and wept and wept. And his sister was in the room and she said, I never hugged you either. And she said, could I hug you? I mean, it was, could I hug you now? This is like live, you know. You can't, could I hug you? And so she comes over and hugs him in front of her because everyone's crying and crying. But we've got to create families and homes like this, haven't we? Where there is a freedom to express the love of God in whatever it looks like. You know, it says in Scripture that God's kindness leads us to repentance. Repentance is a change of thinking, but we often want to help people change their thinking, not by kindness, but by what? Change your thinking, <laughs> or whatever it looks like. But ultimately, underneath it all, and that's not, that's not that we shouldn't challenge, but ultimately it's got to be fueled by the love of God flowing through us. The second thing is this. We began to realise, Caroline and I, a number of years ago, that uh, talking to parents and as parents, that there were numbers of different types of parents. Um, first, there's, there's the helicopter parents. And helicopter parents hover around their kids just fixing things because whenever it goes wrong, they don't want little Johnny to get hurt. So they fix things around them. They, you often will see them in the playground, fix, 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 fix. And, and, and as the kids get older, they'll fix, you know, they smash the car, we'll replace the car. There's never any real consequences. And the problem with that is that kids develop this idea that there's no consequences in life and someone will clear up my mess. And there is a world out there filled with people like that. Someone else is responsible. But then, of course, there's another type of parenting, which is the drill sergeant parent. And the drill sergeant parent is simply this. You will do what I say, and I will command you into obedience. This is my natural uh, inclination, by the way, just for confession. Just behave, will you? Just do what I tell you to do, and we'll both be happy. That's the fundamental underpinning. What's wrong with that? That's the fundamental underpinning of the drill sergeant parent. Just behave. And you'll often see parents like that screaming, shouting at the kids. The problem with that, of course, is when the kids get out of that home, what happens? Boom. Just explode because, or shrink down. Can't ever step out of a place because I'm expecting someone to shout at me. They go one way or the other. Uh, the third type of parents is the absent parent. They don't really parent. They just kind of let their kids work out their own way because, well, shouldn't they be free? But the problem with that is kids just get lost. And we realize that actually this isn't the kind of parent that God is. God is parent coach. In fact, even in the scripture it says this, train your kids in the way that they should go. There's the element of parent coach that models the love of God in a way that creates this safe place with boundaries, but that kids can grow and thrive within. And so I'll give you a silly example, which was help getting kids to do their jobs. They've got to take responsibility. We tried everything, berating, moaning, nagging, everything we could, any parent ever tried everything in the book. I mean, you just tried every possible scenario and so we realized, no, 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 we're parent coaches. What do we do? Well, there are natural consequences. So we began to say to our kids, look, just, well, you know, would you pick up that shoe in the hall? And if they didn't, we say, don't, don't worry, we'll do, it, we'll do it for you. Really? You'll do it for us? Yeah, yeah, but you'll allow us a job. Okay, great. So we would pick up their shoes. And then later on, say, oh, you know that job you owe us? Yeah. The toilet really needs cleaning. <laughs> And now it becomes, so now if you say, would you lay the table? And 
no response. So don't worry, I'll do it for you. No, you will not. <laughs> Often in our house, it's like that. <laughs> you will not lay my table. I am laying my table, and no one's touching my table until it's laid. Oh, okay. <laughs> because that's how parent coaches can release their kids to take responsibility for their own stuff without berating and driving them into it. You know, the other thing we've found is this, uh, realizing that God is taking us into freedom. That is where love takes us. You know, there'll be, there'll be no laws in heaven. <laughs> Did you realize that? In heaven, there'll be no laws. Why? Because God is creating a people who from the inside out love. <laughs> and when you love, there is no need for a law. There is no, there'll be no, you know, there's no be signs, you know, when you get to heaven with a list of things saying, do this and don't do that. And you're like, it's going to take me eternity to read this lot. No, no, no. In heaven, you will be completely free to do whatever you want to do. Why? Because we'll have been completely transformed so that we only ever want to do good. Wow. That's going to be the place to live with total freedom, with no fear that anyone will hurt anyone else. Why? Because love will be the driver of it all and we'll have perfect understanding and know perfectly how to love. And so, in the same way, we have to create that heaven place in our homes, freedom. You know, I realized a while ago when one of my kids was really not doing well and struggling, couldn't work out what was going on. And in the end, as we were talking, what's wrong, blurted out, I'm not sure I even believe in God. I'm not sure this is all true. And I've got loads of questions. And I thought I can either go down the line of, you will believe I'm the pastor of a church for crying out loud. (laughs) Or I could say, do you know what? You don't have to believe. You'll get into that place where you can choose what you believe. We will, Mum and I will love you whatever you choose. You're always going to be our kid. We will always love you. But if you've got questions, man alive, I had loads of questions. Tell me your questions. And they told me their questions. I said, look, I can add at least five or more to that. And I told them the questions that I'd had. And I said, why don't we go on a journey together and see what the answers might be to some of those questions. And just the relief in their little heart when they realise... I can choose this myself. There's freedom. You've got to, you cannot control people into the gospel. You've got to give them a freedom to choose themselves. Otherwise, it's not a choice, is it? Isn't that how God left us? He lets us choose, and that's how we have to live the gospel at home. But I know the pressure not to do that. The second thing is this, creation. God created this amazing, beautiful, breathtaking world. And the worry I have about Christianity is that we can appear to the world outside is very uptight, very sin-focused, very avoiding the problems and, and just uptight. And you know, I don't believe Jesus was like that at all. And I, realize it, I believe it came out of this. He enjoyed his father's creation. You know, we should be the people of all people who know how to enjoy creation who know how to love this world and care for this world and enjoy this world because God so loved the world. He made this world for us. Yes, it's been messed up. Yes, it's been corrupted. But fundamentally, when you look at it, it's amazing. And shouldn't we enjoy the world and model that? Kai is just going to give us a couple of illustrations of how we do that in our family. Come on, Kai. Um, so one of our favourite places to go walking is in Amptill Park. 
But unfortunately, one of my brothers hate, hated walking. He just hated the word walking. Just every time we suggested, let's go for a walk, he'd be like, no, no, please. And go all kind of like, no, this isn't okay. Um, so it, it just made it, it made it terrible. So one time we were like, okay, let's call it something different. So we were like, would you like to go on an adventure? He was like, oh, yes, I'd like that. So we went to the same place and we did exactly the same thing. But this time he enjoyed it just because... <laughs> We called it something different. Um, but another way we enjoy God's creation is, with, is that we love games. Um, so when dad was ill, um, he kind of went into this kind of game mode. Let's play as many games as we can. So um, one week we had a game coming through our door every single day. Uh, <laughs> until the point where mom was like, Simon, this is enough. And so now we have a new rule. We can buy one game a month, and we sell one game a month. It, it all works perfectly now. But during all the games buying and not enough selling, we did have fun playing lots of games, which made a tough season a lot happier. Great. It's going to look different in every family, in every home, in every place, but... That's got to be the heart of our gospel, isn't it? Loving God's creation, enjoying it together. That's good news right there. That is good news. And this is a gospel of good news. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And this is, of course, the reality of the world we live in is a world in rebellion against God. It's a people against God. It's a society and systems that are set against God and his ways. And so God, in his mercy, sent his son to pay the price that we deserve to pay. And we live on this planet now, which is in out-and-out rebellion against the God who made them and loved them. And not only just the, the things that we can see, there's a spiritual rebellion going on. Many people wonder, where does all this evil come from? Well, of course, it's not, as the Paul writes later in the epistles, it's not just our war is not against flesh and blood. It's against spiritual realities in the heavenly realms who are at war with God. And intellectuals often will mock the thought of a spiritual world, but I can tell you this, you survey the UK, even the UK, which not, would not be seen as a spiritually aware nation particularly, eight out of ten people have had some kind of encounter which they've said is supernatural. You know, Steph, when he's out on the streets, meets them all the time, and you run into and hear their stories of a supernatural encounter. There is a spiritual world and a real world, but both are at war against God, and so he sent his son. And into that place of rebellion came Jesus with the gospel of hope that he would take our place, that he would pay the price that we deserve to pay so that we might live and come back to know our Father. The gospel is about forgiveness, about repentance, about healing. It's about integrity and honesty. It's this place, that, this place of salvation, of hope that we are to live out in our homes. Carolyn's going to come and share. A little bit on this. Thanks, guys. Um, well, we all know that Romans 8, 8, 8, 17 says, if we're the children of God, then we're also co-heirs with Christ. So that means because of the salvation of Jesus, we have an inheritance. And it's the same in our families, isn't it? It's, it's not really um, about our financial inheritance, what we're able to pass on to our kids, because that's different for all of us. But we all have the opportunity to pass on a spiritual inheritance to our kids. 
And because of the healing and life and wisdom and love that, that we have found in Jesus um, from, from our salvation, um, then our inheritance that we pass on to our kids becomes more of a blessing and actually increases throughout the generations. Um, the second American pre president, John Adams, said, I study war so that my children can study maths, so that their children can study art. I love that. Part of the inheritance that, that we're passing on to our children um, that we've received um, from, our, from my parents and also from our friends and family in the church um, are some of the tools that lots of us have discovered together along the journey um, about dealing with our failures and dealing with our disappointments um, right in the moment, learning how to repent and forgive and find our significance in the arms of the Father. Um, my hope is that um, as we do this with our kids right there in the moment, they then won't have to go on and pray through these things again um, when they're adults like we've had to do. Um, one example of this in our home was about a year ago. Um, our son Caleb came home and said, you know what, Mom, I've had a really bad thing happen today. And I was like, oh, yeah. And so he started to tell me that... Um, at break time or something, this kid, John, was um, doing something really crass and saying really rude words. And all these people were kind of standing around looking at him. And Caleb said he, he just felt this like anger and sort of disgust and embarrassment rise up in him. And he thought, I've got to stop him. But he didn't quite know what to do. So he just jumped in and sort of shoved him. And he said something kind of rude to try and wake the kid up and get him to stop what he was doing. And um, he was saying to me, Mom, I feel so bad that I've pushed him and um, that I was rude to him. And um, he's just really feeling convicted about that. And so we just said, all right, well, do you want to repent? So he just sat there and told Jesus what he had done and how he felt about it and said, you know, I'm really sorry. And um, we know that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I just declared him cleansed and totally forgiven and totally set free from that. And then I said, you know, do you think you might want to say something to him tomorrow? Do you want to say sorry? And he was like, oh, mom, he's not that sort of kid, you know. <laughs> he's like, I'm kind of scared of him. I just try and avoid him. He's not going to know what to do with that. He's going to make fun of me. And so I said, all right, well, you don't have to, but should we just ask the father if if there's anything more for you in this. And he was like, all right. So he closed his eyes and invited Jesus to speak to him. And he immediately said, I see a picture of a puzzle with 50 puzzle pieces. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, do you know what God's saying through that? And he said, he's inviting me. Um, he showed me that this is John's journey to faith is these 50 pieces. And when all 50 pieces are in place, he'll know the Father. And he's inviting me to be part of the process. I was like, oh, okay, great. And I realized this is inheritance because there is no way I would have ever had a word from God or, or even known that he would invite me to be part of a journey, you know, when I was Caleb's age. And so I said, all right, well, do you want to ask him, you know, what the first piece is about? And so, you know, immediately he said, I need to say I'm sorry. And um, so he was just completely excited to go to school the next day. And he said, but I don't know how. I can't do it in front of other people. You know, we said, let's pray for an opportunity. And if God wants you to do it, he'll make the opportunity. And he came back the next day and said, you'll never guess, Mom. I was by myself with John. And his face wasn't looking too excited. So I said, how'd it go? And he said, I couldn't do it. 
So I was like, all right. And I was just about to say, well, never mind. And he said, let's ask God for another opportunity. <laughs> right? so, um, so he did. And the next day he came back from school and said, mom, I got my opportunity. Well, this had never happened before, even one time, to be by himself um, with, this, with this guy, John. And so what had happened is he had been by himself again and he had said, um, look, you know, a few days ago when, when you did that and I shoved you and said something rude, I, I'm really sorry, I shouldn't have done that. And the kid said you didn't do that, did you? And Caleb said, yeah, I did, and it was wrong, and I'm sorry. And he said, Mom, you should have seen his face. He got this huge smile, and he, like, stood up a lot straighter and said, it's okay, you know, thanks for saying that. And um, so he felt that was the first puzzle piece on John's journey, and then he managed to ask one of his other friends who loves Jesus as well to join him on this journey. And so they both started praying for this guy that neither of them could stand before that. And uh, throughout the year, they feel like they got about five or six pieces before this kid then moved on to another school. But I felt that is, that is inheritance increasing through the generations. That's salvation. Amazing. Very good. So good. Just so, so good. The other thing I think is foundational in living this at home is what is so critical before the gospel, the part of the gospel of salvation go, can go into our hearts is honesty. Actually, honesty and truth is the foundation for every relationship. You cannot love a mask. You can't love someone who's pretending to be someone else. And so building in our homes, living out the gospel, I think looks as much like living out of honesty as anything else, actually. You know, there was a time when my kids were younger where I, had, I lied to, I was doing this job and another job, and I lied to, in my other job, I lied to the, one of the guys there. And I came home, the kids over dinner was saying, how, how, was, how was it today, Dad? And I was like, um... And you could easily, I could easily have glossed over it. I said, oh, well, I lied to a guy today at work. I'm like, Dad's never admitted this before. And I said, um, they said, what, what are you going to do? I said, well, I need to go and talk to him tomorrow. And they're like, really? I said, yeah, I need to go and be honest with him. And so, of course, the dinner table the next day was like, <laughs> What happens? And I was just able to say, oh, you know, I, I told him and I felt a bit foolish, but I really, it was good because it felt in my own heart relationship was restored. And, and we've realized, you know, in our family, we, we'd rather, rather to hear the ugly truth from one another than to believe a beautiful lie. You know, there's something about truth that's the foundation of homes that are saturated with the gospel. And what does that look like in your home to live with the truth? Sometimes when it's painful and difficult, it's easy to cover it up, isn't it, with a white lie. But actually, when you really know that the gospel has changed you. When you've let the gospel change your heart, it will change your home, and it starts with truth. That's how salvation starts for all of us. It starts with truth of this is who I am, warts and all. And the last part of the gospel is this, restoration. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. And that word eternal life, of course, we know from the rest of the scriptures is far bigger than just living a long time. It's the restoration of all things. It's this whole planet being restored and brought back to how the creator designed it. We live for that hope, a new heaven and a new earth where there's no more crying or mourning or death or suicide bombers. It's all been made perfectly new. And Jesus is on a mission. We're not asking him to join our mission. We are joining his mission. The Father sent him to the, initiate this mission. And he started with 12, which became a few more. And one day the whole earth will understand the knowledge of their creator, of who he is, that he is love. And so we are on this journey as a, a community being an outpost of heaven. But each of our homes that we're part of can be that outpost as well. And Kaya's going to little, tell a little story about her journey is joining this mission. 
Um, so I've really felt for a while that God wants me to be involved with helping um, orphans. So a number of years ago, um, Dad went to this place called Live Village um, in South Africa and brought back um, some information about the orphans there. Um, so I was really interested at the time, but we, we didn't really do anything about it. So recently, um, I remembered this and so I found this brochure on a bookshelf and um, mentioned to mum and dad that I wanted to go there. Um, a few days later, like within the week, um, dad was speaking to another church leader and he mentioned that he'd just been to Live Village. Then a month after, um, the people who run the village were in the UK so we had them around for dinner. So all these things kind of added up to me and kind of gave me confirmation that this is... Um, what God wants me to go, God wants me to go there. So yeah, I'm just waiting for to um, make sure that this is what God's calling me to do. Now, of course, the impression we want to leave with everyone is that we have the perfect family, you know, the perfect home. We don't actually live in Bedford. We live, you know, slightly above, like on a cloud. Um, <laughs> And that's kind of the impression we're going to leave. But I just wanted you to give an opportunity to answer the question that everyone's dying to ask, which is, where does it go wrong? <laughs> where don't you live out the gospel? Where do we need to grow as a, 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 as a family? And obviously, I'm standing right here. Um, waiting <laughs> to um, so we do pray together, um, but it's usually about stuff that we need. So I think we could pray more together for like other things. Mm. Um, also, sometimes when we have someone coming over or staying over or something, and like an hour before, mum and dad kind of become like total like drill surgeon parents. So um, <laughs> it's time to hide out in your room. <laughs> um, and I just like to take this opportunity to say that can we please work on like locking the bathroom door? <laughs> it's it's really embarrassing walking in on someone. Uh, I feel I feel like I need compensation for all the emotional damage it's caused me. <laughs> from <laughs> well done, sis. so good, so good. Thank you, Kyle. So good. So I hope you got the idea. We are not perfect by any means, but we're called all, all of us, aren't we, to live out the gospel in a home. It's got to start there. It's got to start from our homes and flow out to the world around. And I know some of you may be feeling, well, hang on a minute. Most of the other members of my household aren't believers. They're not following Jesus. How do I, what does this look like for me? Uh, how do I live uh, this gospel out? And, and I would say um, the first thing is this, that your actions are far more powerful than your words. You know, live it out first through your actions. Let the way that you live your life be so attractive uh, to following the God that you follow that people, uh, when, you get the point to, when you get to the point to talk to them, actually your actions are already done part of the, the work. Let the change in your character, let the gospel coming alive in your heart be the thing that is most compelling to those around you. You cannot control people into the gospel. All you can do is inspire them that it has made such a difference to your life. Now, it's not to say you don't ever speak to them. Sometimes it is appropriate to talk. Sometimes it's appropriate to bring some of the things that you're learning into that, into that home, into the place you live. But first, it's got to be lived out in your own life. And that is the most powerful argument for it. You know, I was an atheist living at home. I'd been brought up a Christian, but converted to atheism. Um, and I was living in that place. And what my parents did right, firstly, they prayed like crazy. <laughs> 
I, I know that after, this, after the fact. They were praying like crazy. But second, they didn't nag me. They didn't berate me. They would ask me if I wanted to come to church, but it was a no-pressure type thing. They, they would ask me, and then they stopped asking me. And then it was special occasions they would ask me, but there was no pressure for it. But I, I watched their lives, and they carried on faithfully following Jesus, faithfully living out generosity. They're both incredibly generous, and they lived this way. And then one day, my dad was, I wasn't, I was, you ever had a conversation with your parents where they're talking at you and you're just watching the TV? Uh, we had that now and again where I would just pretend not to be listening, but I was listening. And he was talking about how a prophecy in Daniel fitted with what was going on in the world at the time and how he felt like it was a sign that Jesus was coming back. And I was pretending not to listen, but that night when I was in bed, the, the presence of God, it was, well, the conviction was in my room, and I realized if Jesus comes back, it is not going to go well with me. And I went from being an atheist to being a believer just like that, as the weight of his words hit me, and yet I never gave him any acknowledgement at the time. And I would urge us as in our homes, if you've got unbelievers in your home, live out the gospel, live it with all your heart, let it change your life. And if the gospel changes my heart, it will change my home. It's just a, it's just a, a natural conclusion, a natural outcome of the power of the gospel. Amen.